0: So if you are joining us for the first time this morning and uh, shout out to all of you Great Falls guests that are with us today, uh, we're glad you're here. Or if you're our guest for any other reason, we're glad that you're here. Or if you're back after being away for a while, we're at the very end of uh, a message series that we started in January talking about doubters and skeptics and the the critiques that they have of Christianity and some of the questions that are raised, the arguments against Christianity that come from doubters and skeptics. So we've talked about the idea that there can't just be one true religion. We've talked about suffering and why a good God would allow suffering in the world. We've talked about uh, the church and Christians and injustice. Last week, Pastor Bruce asked, asked the question, how could a good God send people to hell Today, we're going to take a look at the idea that science has disproved Christianity. And uh, this is one of the ones that I've really been looking forward to. Next week, we'll wrap up this series by talking about whether or not we can really trust the Bible to be true. And then after that, we're going to be turning a corner and starting a new message series that I'm calling I Believe. And we'll be talking about the life in Jesus in us, the life of Jesus in us as we turn away from i doubt and begin to talk about i believe and so i'm really looking forward to that but i'm especially looking forward to today and and next week as well as we talk about these really critical questions that pertain to the faith that we have in jesus christ so um today we're going to talk about science how many of you really love science all right hey we got lots of people in this service good i love science i have always loved science And uh, I was thinking back this week to my high school biology class. How many of you can remember high school biology? Anybody in high school biology? All right. (laughs) You're not in high school biology. (laughs) I, I I was remembering one of my favorite memories from high school biology was when we had to dissect a pig. Do any of you remember dissecting a pig? And I Googled this image i found this image when i googled it and it was like as soon as i saw this picture i could smell the smell in my nostrils you remember that smell it's just foul and um I was one of the people in, in the class that was really excited to dissect the pig because I love this stuff, right? And so I had a lab partner that was just equally as excited. And so we were just ready to get in there and discover what's inside of this pig. And then there were the cheerleaders, you know, that were like, ew, I, I don't want to touch that thing, you know. And my apologies to you cheerleaders out there. Um, no disrespect. But I was so excited. And, and so one of the first assignments that we had was to cut open the pig and to remove the entire digestive tract from the esophagus clear down to the intestines and cut away all the connective tissue and then measure it. And it was like 20 feet long or something ridiculous, right? And when my lab partner and I got ours all spread out and we're measuring it, for whatever reason, the teacher left the classroom, so we decided to play jump rope with the pig intestine. (laughs) I wish I had a picture of that because it was awesome. It was really awesome. (laughs) But I, I just love science. I always have. I'm just fascinated with how things work and, and, and the way God puts stuff together. I just think it's so cool. I married a scientist. My wife is a scientist. And she has her undergrad degree in biology and works in a scientific field. And, and, and I just think her world is so interesting. And so we have a lot of really interesting conversations about science. And uh, in fact, this week, on Wednesday, we have our small group that meets at our home, and Chris had made clam chowder, and when you know, when I cook, I'm just throwing things in a pot. When she cooks, it's science, you know? (laughs) And so, she was telling our small group that when she was making the soup, that she made sure to measure the meniscus of the milk before she dumped it in the pot. (laughs) I didn't even know milk had a meniscus, you know? Anybody even know what a meniscus is? You. Uh, the scientists know what a meniscus is. Yes, of course you do. <laughs> and and so um you know I, I just I just think science is a really cool thing and it it uh it really kind of bothers me sometimes when I hear Christians saying things like science isn't real or, or science is incompatible with my faith, those kinds of things. And one of the things we're going to be talking about today is how science really can harmonize with our faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, we've got a bunch of scientists in our church family. Uh, one of our new elders that just came on our elder team, Sarah Zucker, holds a PhD from Cornell University in physics. And, uh, and she has a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ in addition to being a scientist. And, uh, and I love that. But, you know, there's a lot of skeptics out there, and atheists in particular, who have boldly stated that science has made belief in God unnecessary and obsolete. And you've probably heard a lot of these arguments. There have been a number of atheistic writers who have written books that have become bestsellers in the last few years, and, and they're saying things like this. They're saying that miracles are impossible. They're saying that evolution, in particular, disproves the Bible. You're probably hearing that. If you're not hearing that in your, in your social circle, you're certainly hearing that in the media. You might be hearing that if you are an intelligent, well-educated enlightened human being, you cannot possibly be a Christian. That's one of the arguments that's out there, and uh, today, before you leave this place, I hope that I will convince you uh, that you really can have a faith in Jesus Christ and be a scientist or a science fan or a science lover, whatever the case, and so we're going to talk about that today. How do you like the three screens? Cool? Yeah. Um, I just want to... What did you say, Linda? Oh, let's get rid of the pig. (laughs) Grossed out by the pig. (laughs) I just want to say thanks to Pastor Bruce and all of the volunteers that have made this possible. Uh, We had a projector here in the middle that we've had for six years. That projector bounced around in... In vans and trailers for all the time that we were moving from place to place and it was time to replace it and uh, for half the money that we spent six years ago on that projector we were able to buy three better projectors and put up new screens isn't that awesome and um, we've still got some more work to do this screen will be modified this week hopefully we'll get it all done so there's more more finished work to be done but I I am really loving it. And we got new software that's running all this stuff. So if we have a few glitches, um, I hope you'll forgive us. So let's jump into the teaching time. Uh, if you're taking notes this morning, you're going to have to use scrap paper because we are out of note cards today. But the notes are on the, on the Connect Church app if you want to follow along there. Or there should be scratch paper in your seat pockets if you want to grab something and take notes. But uh, what I hope you'll remember from today is the big idea, and it's this. Here's what I hope you'll remember. You don't have to choose between science and Christianity. Let me say that again. I fundamentally believe this. You don't have to choose between science and Christianity. And today I'm going to give you three reasons why I really believe that you don't have to make a choice between the two, regardless of what the skeptics are saying about Christianity. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one you can jot down. Number one, science tests for natural causes, not for spiritual causes. And it's really important that we make that distinction today. Science tests for natural causes, but not for supernatural causes. The scientific method will, will study anything that we can find in nature or in the natural world, and they'll they'll uh, test it, they'll make hypotheses, and, and, and they'll try to figure out how it works and, and all that kind of stuff. But science can't test for spiritual experiences. How many of you in this room would say, I have at some point in my life had a spiritual experience, and you know that for you it was real. Okay, a bunch of us in this room. Science can't test for that, right? But those of us that have had... Real experiences, we would say, I know that this is real even if I can't prove it scientifically, right? Science can't test for that. Science can't test for miracles. Science can't test for the existence of God. Those things can't be addressed by science. However, the lack of a testing method doesn't necessarily mean that those things don't exist. Let me illustrate it this way. Jess, would you kill the lights? Okay, we're going to try to make this room as black as we can. Chris, would you shut off that light back there? Okay, fairly dark in here, right? Okay, now um, we're going to have a manufactured crisis at this moment. Okay, so hang on to your seats. Oh, no, Russ, I just dropped an earring. You dropped your earring? Well, not my earring, but an earring. Where'd the earring come from if it's not your earring? I borrowed it from Chrissy. <laughs> Jean, I'm so sorry you dropped your earring. Can I help you find it? All right, because you don't want to lose Chrissy's earring or you're going to be in big trouble, right? Okay, so uh, I need you to come with me over here. We're going to go over by this window because it's lighter over here. We'll look for the window in the light. Yeah, but it's brighter over here. We can look in the light. Please come with me. We'll find it in the light. (laughs) Okay, that's the end of the illustration. All right. Give it up for our fine actress, Jean Fick, sitting over there. Okay, the, the point is this. Saying that God doesn't exist because we can't test for him using science is as ridiculous as saying, Jean, let's go over into the light to look for your earring when she lost it in the dark. Okay. It, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Because we can't use science to disprove or prove the existence of God doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. And it's all about the process of science, the, 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 the um, scientific method. So before we go any further, I want to show you just a short YouTube video that explains what the scientific method is. Take a look at this. Now, that's the scientific method, and with that method, it's impossible for us to explain things like supernatural experiences, miracles, or the existence of God. It just doesn't work, and so that's the first reason why I believe you don't have to choose between science and Christianity. Both are real. Here's the second reason if you're taking notes. Number two, science explains the how, but it can't explain the why. Science explains the how, but it can't explain the why. Let me put it a different way. How is science, why is philosophy or religion. How is science, why is philosophy or religion. But there's a lot of atheists in our world today that argue that if you believe in evolution, then you must also believe that evolution explains evolution. Everything. Evolution explains why we love someone or why we're attracted to somebody. Evolution explains why we make every decision in our lives. It explains our meaning or lack of meaning. It's all explained by evolution. And the reality is that's not science. That's philosophy. Or I'd go so far as to say that's actually a religious conviction. Because science explains the how, but it doesn't explain the why. There's some some questions that science just can't answer. Questions like, why am I here? Why do I need love? Science doesn't have an answer for that question. What's the purpose of my life? What is right and wrong? Science has no explanation for our human conviction that there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And people that take... uh, Science as a philosophy or as a religion to its ultimate conclusion will conclude that there is no right and wrong. There is no moral absolutes. And if you believe that, then you just decide that the purpose of your life is to have a really good time and leave offspring behind. And what a sad condition that is if the whole world just became self-serving and wishing to reproduce. This world would devolve into chaos. And the reality is science can't explain the why. So that's number two. The third reason I believe that you don't have to choose between science and Christianity is this. Evolution doesn't actually disprove the Bible. That might kind of surprise you. Evolution doesn't actually disprove the Bible. And uh, as I was studying this week, I learned a lot of stuff about evolution. It was kind of fun to learn because I love science, you know. And uh, one of the things I came across, Pastor Bruce was aware of some great videos uh, that deal with science and creation and the interrelation between the two. And uh, this video that I'm going to show you is really great at explaining the different kinds of evolution and the science that exists to prove evolution. So take a look at this video, would you? So that went by really fast, so let me just summarize what I think is important. It's important for us to know that microevolution is science that has been proven. Scientists have been able to observe uh, different kinds of, of uh, l- like fruit flies that will evolve into some sort of a new form of a fruit fly, But science has never been able to observe, whoa, uh, science has never been able to observe species evolving from one species to another, right? Like uh, a fish has never become an elephant. Elephant? Elephant. (laughs) I was anticipating my joke. You want to hear my joke? What do you get when you cross a fish with an elephant? Swimming trunks. (laughs) First service thought it was funnier than you all did. <laughs> but there's a difference between microevolution, which has been studied in science, and macroevolution that has never been seen, has never been observed, has never been tested, and there is no fossil record that has the missing link. It doesn't exist. And so it's important that, that, that we observe that there are... Evolution, things that exist in the world. Uh, if we as Christians say evolution doesn't exist, that would be ridiculous to say because it does. But macroevolution is not supported by scientific fact. Do you get what I'm saying? And this is is in complete harmony with what we read in the Bible. Uh, a verse will come up on the screen from Genesis chapter 1, two verses actually, that describes how God created the earth. And this is what we read. This is what we read. God said... Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Say the word kind. Kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, a scientist might say, each according to his own species. And what we see in this verse is that God intended for the species to be stable. Um, Elephants don't reproduce with fish producing swimming trunks, all right? Uh, That just doesn't happen. Um, Frogs don't become apes which become humans. It's not science. It's just a hypothesis that's never been proven, but... But the Bible tells us very clearly that God created it this way, and science actually supports it. So let me ask you this, and this is a really important question that we address this morning. What about the age of the earth? Because we're told by scientists who know a lot of stuff that this earth is really, really old, Right? And uh, if you read the Bible carefully and do all the math, you you might find that the Bible seems to imply that the earth is actually very, very young in in the thousands of years rather than the millions or billions of years. And and what's up with that? Why, Why does it appear that we live on an earth that is very, very old? Well, theologians have many theories about how uh, what we observe in the natural world might harmonize with what we read in the book of Genesis. And let me just share a couple of them with you. Uh, This week, Pastor Bruce and I were talking about this message, and we were talking about uh, Adam and Eve, and I asked Bruce the question, Bruce, did Adam have a belly button? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Did Adam have a belly button? And Bruce said, no, absolutely not. And he said, and I said, why wouldn't he have a belly button? He said, because he didn't need one. So then I followed up with another question. Well, did God create Adam as a baby? And Bruce thought a minute. He didn't have a good answer for me. But let me reason this out with you. When we read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, it would appear that God created Adam as an adult person right? And if we could jump into a time machine and travel back to five minutes after Adam was created, we might encounter this man who's walking in the garden and we might say, well, Adam appears to be about 30 years old. So the earth must be about 30 years old because Adam appears to be that old. When in fact, God created Adam five minutes ago, but he created Adam as maybe a 30-year-old man, okay? In the same way, theologians, some theologians think that it's quite possible that God created the whole earth with age. Think about this. Um, what about the, the, the stars? And the time that it takes for stars that scientists tell us are millions of light years away, and it takes millions of years for the light of that star to reach the earth. Some people say that proves that the earth can't be just a few thousand years old. Well, if God has the power to create that star... Doesn't he also have the power to create all the light between the star and planet Earth, streaming over millions and billions of miles, right? And so it would appear that this universe is really, really old when in fact God may have created it just a few thousand years ago or 10,000 years ago, whatever the number is. And and this is one of the ways that, that theologians harmonize what we see in the physical world with what the Bible says in Genesis about creation. Let me throw out one more theory that that I think is very intriguing, and I don't have time to go into it, but you could Google this and find all the information on the internet. There's also a theory that uh, theologians have come up with called the gap theory, and the theory is that between Genesis 1 verse 1 and Genesis 1 verse 2 is a gap. The Bible tells us that uh, when God created the heavens and the earth, that the earth was actually without form and void. And those, those words describe something that's in chaos. And we know that the nature of God is not a, a God of disorder and chaos, but he's an orderly, creative God. And so the theory is that quite possibly, between Genesis 1-1 that says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Genesis 1-2 that says the earth was without form and void, in that gap, maybe God had poured out his anger and his punishment on the earth and made it void. And that would explain things like dinosaurs that that appear to be in the earth for billions of years or millions of years, whatever it is, and, and the fossil record and all that kind of stuff. It's quite possible that we are living in God's second creation. That's just a theory, and I don't know if that's true, but I think it's interesting to think about and, and, and the thing that appeals to me is this. Um, we don't have to be forced into just one view of how science harmonizes with the Bible. There's really intelligent answers that explain what we see in the physical world and what the Bible says. Does that make sense? Are you geeking out with me or am I putting you to sleep? Both. Both. All right. All right. <laughs> Okay, I'll show you a video, video, Sonny, and wake you up. Okay, here's something else that I think is really cool. Check this out.
1: Welcome to Creation Minute. I'm Eric the Grand Canyon. 277 miles long, 10 to 18 miles wide, and more than a mile deep. That's impressive. In the bottom is the Colorado River. You know, some scientists suggest the Colorado River. The Colorado River enters the canyon 2,800 feet above sea level. It exits the canyon 1,800 feet above sea level. And the top of Grand Canyon is 7,000 feet above sea level. So you tell me, did the river flow uphill no for millions of years to carve out the Grand Canyon? Or is it possible that the Grand Canyon is the result of Noah's flood? Let's learn more about creation business at creationminute.com.
0: Isn't that a cool idea? I'd never heard that argument before. So uh, I, I believe that you don't have to choose between science and Christianity. But to wrap this up, let me give you one more thing to think about today. It's this. Friends, it is okay to ask the hard questions. And it's hard, it's okay, even if you have doubts about Christianity. It's okay to ask questions, and it's okay to even have doubts. If you've got your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28? And, and I want to read this story from, uh, from the end of Jesus's life, and, and I want you to see uh, a very surprising truth about the people who follow Jesus. Uh, if you're not familiar with your Bible, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, And chapter 28 is the very last chapter in this biography of Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to start right at the beginning of that chapter. Verse 1. We read this. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. And his face shone like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. Now these women had watched Jesus be crucified. They'd watched him be buried. As they walked into this tomb and they were talking to this angel, I can imagine that these ladies were just like, what? What is going on? They looked, and then the angel said this, verse 7. Now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, and remember what I've told you. And so in the next paragraph, it says, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but they were also filled with great joy. Can you imagine the emotions that must have been going through their hearts? And it says that they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message, but as they went, look at this, Jesus met them and greeted them and they said they ran to him grasped his feet and they worshiped him and then Jesus said to them don't be afraid go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there so now this is the second time these women have been told go tell the disciples to go to Galilee I'm going to meet you there and these women are like it's Jesus right? Can you imagine? They're like, Jesus, we saw you die. How did this happen? We saw you dead. We saw you in the tomb. What is it? And they're just like, whoa. Can you imagine if you saw somebody raised from the dead? I mean, you'd just like, wouldn't your faith just be huge? Just huge if you saw this with your own eyes, right? But then we jump down to verse 16, and this is what we read. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, And going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, they saw him and they worshiped him. And then here's the kicker. But some of them doubted. Does that blow your mind? Like it blows my mind? If I saw Jesus die on the cross, be buried, and then I saw him alive, I think my faith would be just, but here's these 11 guys, right? And they're going, I I, I don't know if I can believe this. I'm not sure that I have enough faith to really, wow. And isn't that how some of us are? Um, I don't know about you, but I can say for myself, even though I've been walking this path of loving Jesus for most of my life, there's days when I just go, God, I need more than this. Have you ever been there? And I want you to know that it's okay, and this is why it's okay. Every one of those 11 disciples became great leaders in the church. So if you have doubts, if I have doubts, I don't think we have to be too hard on ourselves because we're in great company. Do you know that? Jesus is so faithful. He's so faithful to bring us from that place of doubt to a place of full understanding and confidence that he is who he said he was. And it just means that sometimes we have to do a little more research. Sometimes we have to ask the hard questions. We have to dig for the answers. We have to seek out an experience with the living Jesus Christ. But he will bring us to that place from doubt to full faith if we'll just press into who he is. Let me wrap this up by giving you two next steps, and then I'm going to have somebody come and tell you a, a short story. A couple of next steps that I hope you'll follow through on. Number one is this. I want to encourage you to learn about science. Uh, Don't shy away from science. Learn about it. And then let it lead you into worshiping the creator. Uh, This morning in our prayer time, we were talking about this topic, and Pastor Harv said, sometimes I just look at my fingernails, and I'm like, God, you're so smart to make fingernails, you know? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if you didn't have fingernails on the ends of your fingers? It was God's idea. He knew we'd need to scratch things, right? He knew we'd have to pick that zit on the back of our neck, right? I mean, he just knew we needed those things. And, and, and it leads me to worship. Do you know what I'm saying? It makes me go, God, you're so smart, just awesome but the second thing is this i want to encourage you even more than geeking out over science stuff even more make sure that you're pressing in to have experiences with jesus because he will satisfy your spirit listen you are not just a brain your brain is just this little thing up there this gray matter it's a very small part of you you are a spirit You have this hunger in you to experience spiritual reality. It's the way God made you. You have a hunger and a thirst to experience unconditional love. You have something inside of you that says, I need to experience forgiveness, right? You need purpose in your life. All of these things come when you really, really experience Jesus. And he does that for us when we press into him. Hope, would you join me up here on the stage? In our first gathering, I had uh, Dante share with me. He's one of our young people from uh, our student ministries uh, that Jake leads. And uh, Hope wanted to share her story in this service. Will you hold this real close to your mouth? Yes. Perfect. Um, Dante wanted to sit. Would you like to sit? Yeah. All right, let's sit. And Hope, um, many of you know who Hope is. We were praying for her, what was it, a year ago you had your accident?
2: Uh, that was in May.
0: In May of 2013, so not yet a year. Yeah. And Hope was struck by a car when she was riding her bicycle and had a life-altering injury. And since that time, you have really have through, been...
2: Through my life-altering injury... Came life-altering experiences with God, though. So I'm actually very grateful for that accident.
0: Well, tell us how you've experienced Jesus, and and what has this been like for you?
2: Um, it's it's been a lot. <laughs> um, youth group has helped me grow a lot. Um, I've I've been through a lot, and through a lot, God has showed me His goodness. Like. There's no way around it. Um, Since then, I've learned to discern his voice, to be able to um, listen, accept things, pray in my hard times, and that's when he reveals himself to me is when I'm in my lowest of lows most. So, that's that's good because I didn't know God's love. I um, had a really rough childhood. I didn't really know what What love was, I really struggled with that. So um, coming back from my accident and figuring out what that was was a huge step in in my faith.
0: And so what happens, youth meets on Wednesday nights here in the building, and what happens on Wednesday nights that helps you experience Jesus?
2: Well, the leaders are really awesome. Um, They're really encouraging. They're really supportive. Um, if we have questions, they just—they're always there. They step up. They, you know, if we have questions and they can not answer, them, they study with us.
0: I love that.
2: So but that's
0: the brain part. But you've had real spiritual experiences I on have. Wednesdays too. How, I what? Have. What is that? How does that happen?
2: Well, just last week, um, I came for prayer before youth group and. Uh, one of the leaders, Jake, had a vision where each of us had our own dance studio. And you know when you wanna dance but you don't know what to do so you just kinda move your foot a little bit in front of you? Well, that's what everybody was doing and he wasn't sure what it was about. So we prayed about it and I, you know, I felt like it was really about trust. And I told him that and we prayed about it a little bit more and when I closed my eyes again, I was dancing. So <laughs> that, was, that was really kind of something that, especially since my baptism, I've been, you know, learning more and encountering God in even more ways and just feeling his love, feeling his presence, even like having revelation and all kinds of stuff. It's so cool.
0: And, and see, this is what happens, friends. When we take the time to sit in the presence of Jesus, it doesn't come easy. It comes when we worship. It comes when we pray. It comes when we do those things that we call spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits that put us in a place where we can experience Jesus. This is what's happening on Wednesday nights in this room back here with with some of our youth. They get together, they pray, they study the word, They listen for Jesus to speak. And you know what? When you do that, he shows up and speaks. It's amazing. And what I'm saying to you guys is we're not just brains. We're spirits. And we need the presence of Christ to come and interact with us. Because that's what you have to hang on to when your brain just can't compute anymore. It's those experiences with Jesus when you say, I know Jesus spoke to me. This is what's happened to, this has changed your life, hasn't it, Hope?
2: It it really has. The youth group is so much more than that, just, you know, the church family. Everybody always talks about the church family. Well, my family's in youth group because those guys, they showed me that I can have love from peers. They showed me that I can reach out and try and trust and learn to build a life.
0: Would Would you give Hope a hand? All right, let's stand together this morning. Lord Jesus, I just love, I just love that being a Christian doesn't mean that I've believed some sort of a fairy tale. Doesn't mean that I'm just following some dead guy's writings that lived thousands of years ago. Being a Christian means that I have a relationship with a living Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and still reveals himself to us today. Jesus, thank you for giving us the promise, Lord, that if we seek you, we will find you. And thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating to us again and again and again and again that you are who you said you are. And Jesus, as we spend a few moments reaching out to you, praying, worshiping, will you come and reveal yourself to us one more time today? In Jesus' name, amen.